We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. And we're that. I'm back. <laughs> oh, like the man said, I'm Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. If you guys hear something that you'd like more information on, feel free to go to my website, bullingtoncapital.com. Send me an email and I will try to get back to you as quickly as humanly possible. Um, I've had a lot of questions last few, actually, you know, since the pandemic began over when the next big correction was going to come. And boy, if I just knew that, (laughs) I could make an enormous amount of money. So whenever you hear people talking about that, where the next big correction is coming or the next big move up is coming, if, if anybody can actually get that right, I can show you how to get really, really rich. But you've got to get that exactly right. And that's why I'm still working. <laughs> it's it's not just me, incidentally. The uh, people that are uh, doing that, I just, uh, I don't know why I'm talking so much about that today. I guess because I've, I've been hearing an awful lot from people. And you've got uh, a lot of stocks that are, are making moves that really don't have a whole lot of uh, cash. They haven't generated a lot of cash. It's It's speculation. And I'm hearing a lot, you know, actually, I think Bitcoin just reached an all-time new high again. And uh, that's mind-boggling, you know. No government entity standing behind the the currency, and uh, basically people can steal your money if they're a better programmer or a pretty good hacker. And I know all the the people that are involved in that are going, "No, that's not possible." Well, <laughs> I just uh, I, it, it's okay. But the uh, the good news is, you know, the economy is really strong. I mean, really strong. I'm just amazed at how resilient the economy has been. A lot of businesses have not come back to the levels that they were before the pandemic. And GDP growth is on fire. I mean, the, the economy is growing incredibly quickly. And uh, kind of like, I don't, I, I never like saying I told you so. But I remember back in March of two thousand. Was it 2019? Yep. Or no, 2020. Yeah, I'm looking around and I'm going, yeah, this is uh, this is going to blow over. And if you go back and listen to my radio programs, which you can, by the way, by going to iTunes, saved under the Bullington Capital Report, 
Go back and listen to what we were talking about back then. So I don't really have to say too much. And did I know it was going to happen this quickly? Heck no. In fact, I didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. I thought it was going to take a lot longer. So I'm surprised. But I, I, I didn't have any doubt that the economy would come uh, come back and that stocks would come back. Now they're you know making new all-time highs. And I don't think that's the end of it. I don't think it's the end of corrections either. A correction is another word for stocks falling. That's probably going to happen. It's gone a long time without it happening. 10, 15% would be normal right around this time. When you had that big of a move, it would be completely normal to be down 10 or 15% over the next month or two or a few months. And, or it may not happen for another two or three years. I mean, just, that's, that's how unpredictable that is. So what are you to do? Well, you actually should probably do the same thing you do anytime you're thinking about investing. Have some of your money in stocks. Have some of your money in bonds. Very little, by the way. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. Have some of your money in cash. With bonds or fixed income, You know, we'll talk again on today's show, the second segment, on the guaranteed values you can get from annuities right now. I think at, for a portion of your fixed income, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. And everybody's a little bit different. So uh, I was going to try to create a couple of scenarios, uh, scenarios that I see fairly frequently and uh, kind of go over it like, a, uh, and I won't do it this week, I just don't have time, but I'm going to start uh, putting together scenarios of, say, somebody who's 65 is getting ready to go on Medicare, getting ready to retire, is wondering you know, what they might be able to do to increase their returns a little bit without re- increasing their risk too much. So that that's really hard to do, by the way. Increase your returns without increasing your risk. In fact, I could do a whole, oh, probably 50 shows <laughs> just on uh, techniques to increase returns without increasing risk. There are tons of them out there. Unfortunately, the vast majority of them are incredibly complicated. And that's that's the hard part. Is it possible? Yeah. Is it magic? No. In fact, a lot of people would be pretty disappointed by what they what they see. I think you know just my experience dealing with the general public to increase your returns by one or two percent a year. So let's say instead of getting a a five percent return, you're going to shoot for a seven percent return. That's that's a two percent increase, right? It's actually forty percent. Going from five to seven is a forty percent increase. Two two is forty percent of five. And uh, it's one of the things I think we should start teaching our 12-year-olds. We do start teaching them percentages. By the age of 12, they already know how to do that. What we don't do is teach them how to apply that to real-world situations, particularly their investing. And I, I, one of these days, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it, and I'm going to go approach the Ohio Board of Education and say, listen, you need to start teaching this stuff to kids when they're about 11 or 12 because these kids are on computers now. They can understand these concepts. They're smarter than my class was. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if they're actually smarter, but they have access to better information than we did. And uh, the calculators are, you know, laptops or cell phones. They can do all kinds of stuff. We need to start showing them how to do this. It's hard. You know, they didn't show it to my generation, uh, actually, 
they're still not showing the stuff that they really need to show. When I mentioned the 4% rule, well, that's been pretty popularized. If you do any research on the internet, just Google the 4% rule and it'll tell you what it is. It's kind of a a recommended kind of a shortcut. Uh, What kind of income can I generate when I get to retirement? It's 4% of whatever your retirement savings are. Why so low? Why only 4%? You know, this is what I hear from the general public. Well, I heard that the stock market averages 10% a year. Why wouldn't I take out 10% a year? Well, what you heard was accurate as far as the 10% a year goes, but that's the average. But what you're forgetting or what everybody else is forgetting when they hear that number is that the stock market drops by 50% every now and then. It happened twice in the last 20 years. Think about that. So if you're 30, there's a pretty good chance that it would have dropped twice. Now, if you were 30 in the year 2000, you would have seen the stock market go down two times more than 50% in less than 10 years. Talk about really discouraging when you're trying to save and then you see your investments cut in half. And then when they finally get back to where they were, it goes down again and takes another couple of years just to recover. And that's if you're 30. If you're if you're young, that's fine. You you could have been investing that whole time. You'd have actually made a pretty good profit in your average balance fund, stocks, bonds, cash, average fund, just by contributing throughout that time period. Now, if you're 40, still pretty good. If you're 50 or 60, probably a little cl- too close to retirement to be having 100% of your money in, in stock funds. You have 100% of your money in stocks and the market goes down 50%. And, and let's say, you know, I'm, I'm using examples that I hear in my office. I want to take out 10%. Why do you want to take out 10%? Because I hear that's what the stock market average is. Okay. Well, if you had a million bucks, I'm using a million because it makes my math easy. The, uh, I'm going to take out $100,000 a year. Yeah. So I took out 100000 bucks, set it aside at the beginning of, of 2000. In March, the market peaked and then proceeded to drop 50%. So your million dollars that you start off with, which was actually 900,000 because you took out 100,000, is now 450,000 because it's down 50%. And now you're gonna try to take out another 100,000. Um, what you're really gonna do is, is apply at Walmart for a job as a greeter. That, that's what you're gonna have to start doing. And uh, I, I hate to be so blunt, but I, I just feel like I have to be. People aren't getting it. And I'm, it's hard on me. I'm trying to help them. And they keep, yeah, but I thought that, and I thought, okay. And, and by the way, if, if you know more than that, great. I've just bored you to tears. But the, uh, there are an awful lot of people out there who don't hear this. And let me, instead of a million dollars, let me go down to a hundred thousand bucks. So a hundred thousand dollars, you're going to take out $10,000 a year to supplement your income. Oh yeah, that sounds really good. Yeah, it does. When you did that in March of 2000, because that's what's going to happen when I retire. You know, my, my middle name is actually Murphy. Yeah, I'm gonna, as soon as I retire, the market's going to drop 50%. <laughs> that first year, it's going down 50%. So I, I think I'll only partially retire. So maybe I'll only get half the drop. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, anyway, if I had 100000 bucks and I invested in March of 2000, took out $10,000, I got $90,000. Okay. Then it goes down to 45000 45,000. And by the way, it went down two years 
actually three years, three years, it went down for three years. You never hear anybody talk about that. They talk about what's the worst year. Well, I don't really care what the worst year was. What I want to know is what was the peak to trough, however long it took. Because this one took three years and was down 50%. It's a lot. So if you had 100,000, you took out 10,000, now you got 90,000. If you took out 10,000, again, you've taken out $30,000. Your assets are literally less than $400,000 because you've been taking money out on, on the way down. Or right, yeah, right around 400,000 bucks. I'm sorry, 40,000. So you started with 100,000. Now you're down to 40,000 bucks. And uh, that's one of the reasons we don't take out 10%, even though that's the long-term average of the stock market. It's called longevity risk, uh, sequence of returns risk. Those two things are intertwined. The stock market has had a really good long-term average, but it drops a lot. And if you started taking money out, expecting to take out what its long-term average was, and it goes down, your portfolio, your assets may never recover. You may end up running out of money. So we have to be really careful with that. That's actually where the 4% rule came from. 4% 4% rule says take out 4% of whatever you start with, whatever your starting point is, take out 4%. And then you're going to have to adjust that for inflation. See, that's the other thing that people aren't thinking about. To adjust for inflation, what was inflation this year? A little over 5%, I think. Four and a half or 5%, somewhere around there. Anyway, you do that for 20 years, and guess what? The price is nearly double in one 20-year period. Average 65-year-old is going to live 20 years. So the average 65-year-old is probably going to see prices double if you get an inflation rate that's 4% or so. That, that's, that's tough. That's one of the reasons you start off only taking out 4% because you're going to have to increase that over time to keep up with rising prices. And we've been lucky. Up until this past 18 months or so, the inflation rate was really, really low. I mean, and they were printing money faster than the the inflation was going up by for a lot of those years, which is really mind boggling. You know, it's kind of like those socks that go into the dryer and you never find them again. We're printing up all this money. It's going somewhere, but we can't find it. (laughs) It wasn't finding its way back into the economy and forcing prices up. And uh, that was really perplexing for an awful lot of people. And that, that went on for an incredibly long time period. We're pumping money out, and, and here's my theory, my thesis. And by the way, I thanks to a good friend of mine, actually uh, Tom Porter over at Blaster Chemical. Nothing uh, works faster than Blaster. It's kind of like it's like a um, uh, actually gets rid of rust and allows you to take off nuts and bolts that get stuck. Anyway, I hear the music. I have to take a real quick commercial break. You listen to Bill Bullington right here on fourteen twenty. I'll be right back. Can't believe we've come this far and it feels just like getting started. Somehow we're still running like those kids back then, kids back then. Scrape some knees and falling down, but somehow we keep getting back up. Long as there is wonder, gonna keep running, yeah, we'll keep running in this moment. It's electric, can you see it? Can you feel it? The stream inside is still alive today. Yeah, we're on. 
Traded all my dark for the light. Traded all my blindness for sight. Traded all my pain for the gain. Got a key to the gate and a seat at your table, yeah. I look up and I can see it got me where I wanna be. Every single part of me becoming something heavenly. You make me brand new. It's like I'm rising up from the water. And we're back. That's a nice song. Anyway, we're talking about a lot of different things. Actually, this is a, uh, it's been kind of a Goldilocks market now for the past couple of years. I mean, especially if you're a large company and you're in technology, those stocks have flown. Now, I will tell you this. Don't run out and start buying those stocks today because a lot of them are overpriced now. Okay, so it's okay to have some in there. You don't want to have a lot, but you want to have a little bit in there and um, be ready to rebalance your portfolio. If market were to take a dip and it's going to go down more than 20%, you're going to probably want to hit the rebalance button. You're going to want to take some of the money out of your your bonds and buy some of those stocks when they come down. That's how you time the market. You don't try to predict when it's going to happen. You got to be ready so that when it does happen, that you can make an adjustment. By the way, you don't have to, to buy it. That if you, if you can't get yourself to do that, and most people can't, um, it's okay just to hang in there. Hanging in there is a big deal. And if you're re- rebalancing your portfolio once every other year or so, you'll end up buying stocks when they're on sale at some point in time anyway, just because you're rebalancing the portfolio. Let's take that 50-50 blend that the 4% rule was talking about. 50% bonds, 50% stocks. So if the market was down over a two-year period and it's down more than 40%, let's say you had 100000 bucks, So you had $50,000 in each one of them. 40% of, of 50000 is 20000 bucks. So now you're down to $80,000. Okay? But you still got $50,000 in bonds. Okay, So let's take some of those bonds, bring that back up to 50-50. We're going to uh, sell some of the bonds, add it to the stock. So now it'll be 40-40, that, that back to 50-50. That will cause your portfolio or would have caused your portfolio to have recovered much quicker than just buying and holding. And you didn't have to get it right on the head. Uh, You didn't have to, you really didn't have to time the market at all. You just had to look at your portfolio once a a year, once every other year. And if the stocks were less than 50%, you sold some of your bonds and added to stocks. How's that? Pretty simple, right? It's a lot easier said than done. I always thought I'd be a, a uh, great boxer because I, you know, when I shadow box, man, I am I am really good. <laughs> Fortunately, I learned <laughs> there's a big difference between shadow boxing and actually stepping into the ring. So I managed to avoid any catastrophes there because it would have been. <laughs> I have no doubt, but and that's what it's like with uh, investing. It's easy to talk, you know. So many people, you know. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Man, remember that? I remember, you know what? I, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but uh, I was I was a kid when that came out, you know, when the first Rocky movie came out. Most people have no idea what that is, especially if you're a millennial. This is before you were born. <laughs> You've got to watch those old movie channels to, to see that movie. But uh, it was a great movie. Anyway, reminds me of... Uh, you know, what it's like to be an investor. You know, look at Rocky, the original Rocky. That's what it's like to be a successful investor. You're going to train and train and train 
and you may not, and you're going to take a lot of punishment and you may not win, <laughs> but you know, in like in the movie, he didn't get knocked out. That, that, that's a key. Cause uh, I didn't think, yeah, in the movie, nobody had ever finished a, a complete round against uh, the champion. So that's a lot like what stocks are very similarly. Uh, Cause man, I mean, it can be really rough. And then, you know, you get the other times you look at the last couple of years and a uh, graph of the stock market looks like it just knows only one direction, you know, and that's up. And uh, don't let that fool you. Yeah, we'll get another correction here sooner or later. In fact, it's already, wow, I can't believe it. It's been about almost 18 months since we've had, and that's, you know, back when I first started in the industry, I read one of Peter Lynch's books. I think it was 1988. Uh, I don't know, early 90s, something like that. And he talked about corrections all the time. And I thought, well, that's interesting, you know, because I hadn't heard other portfolio managers talking about that. I didn't hear people at, at the places that I was working for or involved in the financial services industry or you know, stockbrokers. The, uh, they weren't talking about it. And but Peter Lynch talked about it. And I'm looking at that going, wow, this guy was like, he, he's the best that ever lived. Did you know that? He, he, nobody's ever matched his track record in a mutual fund publicly held and uh, even beat Warren Buffett. So he talked a lot about stocks fluctuating a lot. And I was like, huh, that's interesting. So when I could first afford to pay for services where I could get stock charts, where I could see the history on stocks, it was really expensive back then, by the way. So then I started looking and I was going, wow, yes, stocks move a lot. <laughs> so you just have to be ready for that. I mean, it, it's been the best uh, asset class to invest in over the past hundred years or so. Actually, you go back further than that. And uh, but you know, there's a cost to it. And the cost is the volatility that you have to put up with to get those returns. There are some uh, what what do we call them? factors? You know, you, you hear a lot about factor ETFs, and what they're talking about are are like prerequisites that companies have to meet before they can get on the list to be put into the fund. And there are some of those factors that over time have a tendency to be more meaningful than other factors. Size is one of them. Size is a factor. You're smaller. It actually used to be smaller after the past five years where small caps have been pretty much ignored. They've underperformed the larger companies by such a large margin that their long-term track record is no longer a whole, not not. It's not better than the large companies are, but at some point in time, I got a feeling that's probably going to change and it'll go back because smaller companies grow faster most of the time. You know, do you want Microsoft when it's 400 million or when it's 400 billion, you know, or 4 trillion? You know, yeah, I'd, I'd rather have the 400 million if, if I could. <laughs> and uh, so size can be a factor. It, it is a factor. And especially uh, an increase in the size, that's basically what the S&P 500 is. They're holding the top 500 companies by size. And when their prices go up, they add more to the stock. There, there's a, uh, that creates a problem as well as helps the performance. So it's like a double-edged sword. It causes a lot of stocks to go way beyond where they should. And then when they correct and come down, they're down 
more than 50%. The entire index will be down more than 50%. So how do you avoid being down 50%? Well, you put some of your money in bonds. You put some of your money in the annuities that we're talking about because bond interest rates are so low. That's another thing I kind of wanted to talk about. Bond interest rates are so low. They're actually the lowest. um, The last few years, they've, they've set records for being the lowest levels that they've ever been in the United States. Even during the Depression, you know, you had interest rates of 2 and 3% during the Depression. That's mind-boggling. So they're lower now than they ever have been. It makes it a lot more challenging to keep up with long-term averages of funds. That's why I'd be really wary of looking at the long-term average of most funds today, particularly bond funds. Okay, There's a... a there, it's so one of the reasons that I started using the fixed indexed annuity and the uh, investment only annuities that will allow you to, to purchase a rider. Those, those are the most transparent, by the way. They allow you to purchase a rider that will guarantee a minimum income. On a couple, it's 3.75 that they will guarantee. On an individual, it's 4%. And I know that's not exciting to a lot of people, but when you're comparing it to 1% or less on a CD, uh, which you probably shouldn't make that comparison because it's not the same, but all other things being equal, the rate that they will guarantee is a lot higher than you can get in government bonds, tax-free bonds. Um, you'd have to buy junk bonds to get a higher yield, but the uh, junk bonds, junk bond funds actually fluctuate almost as much as stock funds do. So what are you gaining there? Um, the fixed index products have a guaranteed rate. Um, they're very high. The, uh, when we come back, I'll talk a little bit about you know what somebody that I, I have actually have an example somebody who's sixty five years old and just wants to pay for a certain number like their their fixed expenses. How much would I need to pay my fixed expenses? There's a website you can go to, um, and this one's from Nationwide. It's it's uh, one of their products. There there are lots of products like this out there, but this one's got a website you can go in, put the income you'd like to have, and it'll tell you how much. You know, based on your age, how much money you would need to be able to fund that that need. You put it in there. You turn on the income. Uh, Twelve months after you have invested in it, and the income stream comes in for as long as you live, no matter what happens to the investments. So that that's a that's a very good idea, I think, in today's environment. If you were to ask me about this, oh, back in the uh, oh, 2005, 2006. 2007, 2008, when the market crashed, I'd say, no, it's not that good of a deal. Why? Because you could get a CD that was paying 5 or 6%. You know, CDs back then were paying 5 or 6%. Are those going to come back anytime real soon? I doubt it. I really do. The, the national debt has nearly, has nearly doubled during that time period. Uh, and if they were to start raising interest rates, that means they have to pay more on all those government bonds. I don't know. If you were in charge of setting your own interest rate, what would you charge yourself? Would you charge yourself a lot? Or would you charge yourself just a little? Would you charge yourself a lot when you're looking at trillions of dollars worth of debt? Especially if you didn't have to. And that's, that's my point. Why, what incentive would uh, a, a government have to increase their interest rates uh, when they have an, a tremendous amount of debt? Now, I'd love to double my debt and not have to pay any interest on it. <laughs> That'd be awesome, but uh, probably not going to happen because I don't get to make that decision. So anyway, 
that's why I'm, we're looking at those types of products. And uh, there are two types there that I've been talking about on, on the radio program. One of them is a fixed rate, and that's why we're buying it, because the fixed rate's very competitive, uh, and it's guaranteed for the rest of your life, uh, even if the investments, even if you blew through all the money in the investments, it'll guarantee an income. If you want to hear more about this stuff, by the way, I'm just barely touching on this. The uh, Send me an email, and I'll send you some links. You can go in and play around with it. But if you were, uh, again, the, the fixed index are for people who want guarantees on the income, and I've been using it to replace a portion of the, of the bond portfolios for a lot of clients. If you're listening to this and I haven't talked to you about it, and uh, because I've been talking about it on the radio and I just kind of figured you'd listen and call me if you were interested, the, uh, which is, uh, you know, that, that's totally realistic. Um, happens all the time, actually. But, the, uh, um, yeah. And then there's another one for growth. You know, it's more for growth. It has a lower income guarantee, and that's a rider. You add that to it. You can actually take it back off again. Uh, and it's a little bit lower because the potential for growth is significantly higher. I'm going to say it's probably two to 300% higher the potential for, for future growth. And I, I think I've only got a couple of minutes here left before I have a, uh, or I got one minute left before I have a commercial break. So before I, I dig into that, I uh, uh, will just tell you, I, I'll have to wait until after the commercial comes back because it, it, it does get a little bit complicated. But it is a really good um, program. I, I really like it. If you're one of those people who's a little afraid, you know, when the market hasn't dropped by 10% now in, in well over a year, um, Peter Lynch talked about this. This was back in the early 90s when he first retired. Okay. And for those of you that don't know who Peter Lynch is, he was a mutual fund manager for Fidelity. He ran this fund called the Magellan Fund. The fund, if you to put $10,000 in it, uh, when he first took over the reins, I think 13 years later, it was worth 330000 bucks. That's a lot. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, the fund got to be the first billion dollar fund. And of course, the bigger they get, the, the performance goes down. And, you know, it's harder to manage when you've got that much more money. When he took over, it was a good time. Uh, and the fund was very small, so he could move it around very quickly. He had a lot of, he had the wind at his back. So that's not a recommendation, by the way, for that fund. The, um, but now I hear the music. I got to take a real quick commercial break. You listen to Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned because I'll be right back. I used to live like I was under attack Dodging arrows from my past I had no hope for tomorrow Felt so much pressure, yes, I thought I would crack But now there's no looking back I'm moving forward cause I know I got my armor now, no fear, no doubt Can't shoot me down, yeah I got my armor now, no fear, no doubt Gonna shoot me down, 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 down feels perfect other days it just ain't working the good the bad the right the wrong and everything in between yo it's crazy amazing we can turn our heart through the words we say mountains crumble with every syllable broken live or die so speak life speak life and we're back 
Hey, this is Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Uh, feel free to give me a call during the week if you'd like or go to my website. You can contact us there on the uh, contact us page. It's bullingtoncapital.com. And, uh, and you know, w- one of the things I really like about the business that I'm in is not only are we able to, to help people, but the it's so interesting. I mean, there's so much stuff going on all the time. And I was talking to um, one of my good friends and good long longtime client actually owns Blaster Chemical. You ever see uh, everything's faster with Blaster? <laughs> they're right here. They're, they're only about four or five miles from the uh, radio station, which is uh, kind of interesting. So uh, anyway, they they're they got a lot of stuff going on, and we were just we were just marveling at how much change. I mean, we've known each other since uh, actually college. I didn't know that he was, we were in the same communications class at Kent State. It was hilarious. He was the only guy I knew that that came as few times as I did. <laughs> and uh, he's actually a very good communicator too, which is uh, hilarious. Um, anyway, he's uh, we were just marveling at all the changes that have come along since then. We were talking about how things were back then. We didn't nobody had cell phones. They were and by the way, they were called car phones. You, you did, nobody knew what a cell phone was. It was called a car phone. And uh, I think you got, oh, yeah, cable was still spreading out around the country. Every neighborhood had these companies digging trenches to lay the cable down. And uh, there was no internet. Al Gore hadn't invented it yet. So we had to wait on that. <laughs> By the way, the internet actually started in, 19, uh, in the 1960s. And it was a government project. And this is one of the other things I used to hear a lot about uh, how the government should not be involved in the economy. Well, you know what? I got news for you. Most big industries don't have the money to fund everything that they need. You know, all these electric cars and uh, the most popular one, Tesla. Uh, Elon Musk got a $500 million grant. See, the difference between a grant and a loan is you don't have to pay the grant back. (laughs) And uh, so that's how the electric cars really got their foot through the door and we were able to take off. And Intel was a spinoff of a company called Fairchild Semiconductor, which was actually owned by the U.S. government. Okay. So without the U.S. government putting together all that money, all that R&D, okay, no computer, or actually the computers would have come, they just... Right now, we would be hearing, you know, hearing our modems going, <laughs> because that's how much longer it would have taken to get all that stuff <laughs> approved. So the government is highly involved. And yes, unfortunately, they can pick winners. And sometimes they do. But I'm glad. I'm glad that they do that. I'm, I am unbelievably impressed with both administrations over the uh, handling of this uh, pandemic. You can say whatever you want. That was a major catastrophe waiting to happen. And they moved. Were all the moves the right moves? Heck no. You can't forecast the future with a high degree of accuracy. I mean, that's like trying to predict the weather without satellites. Remember the uh, the weather reports? When I was in high school, they were wrong seven out of 10 times. <laughs> seven out of 10 times. It was, And they thought that was good. You know, hey, we're 30% accurate. Uh, lovely. <laughs> so 
So realistically, if you wanted to know whether or not you should bring a raincoat, look out the look out the window. <laughs> That's that was your best bet. But and and the reason that they're more accurate today is because we have satellites. You can actually see the weather going moving over the continents. Incidentally, they're still wrong a lot <laughs> because they're just things happen. You know, they uneven heating. If you get a clouds that, that move in a different direction, the wind changes direction, who knows what's happening. I've heard that the, uh, uh, our path around the sun is, is kind of wobbly. That would make complete sense to me. So you get too much clouded cloud coverage. The clouds are absorbing the heat. They move to a different area than that absorbs all the heat and causes the uh, moisture to rise, the heat to rise, and that's how you get a lot of tornadoes. That stuff can happen. And you can't predict all that. That's the, uh, it, it's so frustrating for so many people who never want to give that up. You know, and, and I feel bad for all the meteorologists out there the, uh, over the years. Like I said, today it's, it's much better because we do have a lot of satellites up in there, up in the air watching the, the weather develop. But they still, I mean, you know, I was in Colorado when, what did they call that? The cyclone uh, something or other? Yeah, I don't know what it was. But I know I was there and I was stuck there for four days and uh, I got home four days later than I should. And the snow was literally blowing sideways. It wasn't coming down. It was going sideways. I was behind a truck, a semi, and the wind just took that truck and blew it right off the road right in front of me. It was only about 500 feet away. And I was panicked because I was driving this little tiny Toyota. It was smaller than a Prius. I don't know what it was, but it was the only car they had left at the, at the airport when I got there. And the wind was blowing me all over the road. And uh, so anyway, so much for uh, accurate weather forecasts. Yeah. If you could. And by the way, forecasting the weather is a little easier than forecasting the stock market. It, it's actually a lot easier than forecasting the stock market. And that's what makes it so confounding. Um, but like I said, there are things that, that, you can count on uh, that will help a little bit. In fact, the reason stocks have a tendency to do better is Procter & Gamble and Clorox, they can change their prices at will. When their costs go up, you can bet they're not keeping their prices the same. They have to if they want to stay in business. They have to raise prices if they want to stay in business. That's the main reason that stocks do better than other asset classes. They get to change their uh, rate or the, their costs, not their costs, their prices. And, uh, and then once they, by the way, I've never seen them when, when the sub inflation subsides okay, and their costs start to drop a little bit. You ever see them take their prices down again? Heck no. <laughs> They're there now. And, uh, and by the way, they need to do that because they can't raise their prices immediately oftentimes. So they will be making less money. They need to make up for that over time. And as long as the Fed keeps printing more money, and that my guess is since they've been doing it since the Depression and they weren't, they've learned how well that works, especially for countries like China. Uh, I doubt we're ever going back to the old days. So the bigger risk going forward is probably going to be inflation and volatility. Those are the two big risks. Volatility, because if the market goes down a lot and you've got too much money in the stock market when it drops and you're planning on using that money to supplement your retirement, that could be a real problem. You really need to get a good grip on how much risk you're taking in your portfolio right now. Now, let me give you some, I, I am such a fan of Occam's Razor. I don't know if you've ever heard Occam's Razor. Occam was a priest, lived a long time ago. 
and he was a really smart guy, and uh, he said something along the lines of, the simplest solution is often the best. And then the Pope excommunicated him. <laughs> I, I'm not sure it was because of that. I was thinking it was, you know, I, I, I went to a Catholic church for a long time, and there were a lot of uh, um, things that we had to do, and I thought that they really liked things uh, really complicated. I didn't understand a lot of it. But uh, I thought they got mad at him for trying to get rid of. The, I'm just kidding, totally kidding here. But uh, anyway, Occam's Razor. This guy was super smart, and uh, I believe he was one of the uh, first people who. Uh, uh, I, I might be mixing him up with somebody else, but I, I think he was actually um, working in hybrid types of fruits like plums and nectarines. You make a nectarine by. Uh, cross-pollinating stuff. And so he was doing that long before we had a microscope. Uh, at least that's what I think. I better check, double-check my facts on that because I am getting older. <laughs> but anyway, outcomes ready. The simplest solution is often the best, and I, I'm a big fan of that. So, And going forward on my show, I'm going to try to keep things as simple as humanly possible. You, you've got to diversify. Uh, you, you just have to. If you want to know how much you should have in stocks, here's the question. Uh, ask yourself how much of a decline that you think you could sit through in a correction of 50%. Those don't happen that often, but they do happen. So, and there's nothing saying it couldn't go down to 85% like it did in the 1930s. 85%. Can you imagine? 85%. So if you were hundred percent in stock, man, you were probably trying to find a job. And uh, so, that hasn't happened for a very long time, but you could say 50% doesn't happen that often. So I kind of use that as a benchmark. What if I was, you know, if I'm in stocks and they're down 50%, am, am I staying awake at night? Uh, if I am, it's because I had too much of my money invested in stocks. If I'm not, let, here's my risk tolerance. Okay, I will, I will take a 40% decline in my portfolio and not panic. I'm not going to, uh, do something drastic. Actually, I'd probably look to add to stocks. But that's me. I've been doing this for a long time. I get it. I think I get it. And I'm going to respond by either holding tight or scraping together as much money as I can and adding to my stocks when they're down that much because at that price, they would be significantly undervalued, especially how fast the economy has grown over the past few weeks or months. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave a lot of that alone, and I'm going to remind you, if you want to see a quote on what kind of income you might be able to expect from those fixed indexed annuities, uh, please feel free to give me a call if you or email me. If you're looking at the other one, and I call the, the Gumby annuity, that's the one that's super flexible. There's no sales charge in. There's no sales charge out. They guarantee a, an income no matter what happens. That income, incidentally, one of the reasons that it's lower than the fixed index product is because it can go higher. The fixed is just what it implies. It's fixed. It's a nice high rate, but it's it's not going to go up. If you're going to be in your, your mid-60s or early 70s, you probably don't want to have all of your money in that. Um, the uh, You might want to have some of the money in, the, in a regular uh, portfolio, or you can do the investment-only annuity if you want a cushion- uh, you know, I'm going to be able to take out at least, if I'm an individual, I'm going to take out at least 4% over my lifetime. That 4% can go up if the investments go up. Here's what's really unique about that one. 
They allow you to invest 100% of the money in stock funds, and they have Fidelity, Vanguard, T. Rowe, Price, you name There are 350 funds in there. The other nice thing about that is when you, uh, if you rebalance your portfolio, you mean, that means buying uh, and selling, you don't get a 1099 on that. It's tax-deferred. And there aren't any limits on that. You know how you have a non-deductible IRA if you don't qualify for a Roth, but you can't put more than you can put in a normal IRA? Well, this one's it's non-deductible like the non-deductible IRA, but it has no cap. You could put a couple million bucks in there if you wanted to, and you would no longer get the 1099s and, and have to pay capital gains taxes on dividends or capital gains distributions from those funds because they're tax deferred. When you were rebalancing the portfolio, no 1099, not until you actually start taking money out. So there's some benefits there. It's, they're pretty cool too. And I don't know how much time I have left, but uh, oh, I've got about 60 seconds. Doggone. I was going to try to cover stocks again. I feel so bad. Everybody, uh, a lot of people tune in for this. Um, here's one that looks really good. And it, by the way, these are paper. This is a paper company. The symbol is CLW. The chart looks good. When I say the chart looks good, it means that it's exhibiting patterns that I've seen before. Okay. And they're typically from stocks that are going to go up or are already going up a lot really fast. And we don't know that they're going to keep going up. If I knew that, I wouldn't be working. Um, but we know that they're going up right now. And I like to look at their valuations and I like to look at the price to sales ratio. So that one's actually CLW. Uh, what else is really interesting about that? The next one that came up on the scan is UFPI, UFP Industries, uh, lumber and wood production. So you got a comp- paper company in lumber and wood. Now, normally stocks like this, I would look at and go, oh, those are super cyclical stocks. Those stocks normally start running at the end of a big bull market. Yeah. Think about what I just said there. <laughs> normally. Okay. They're the last ones. That doesn't mean it's over yet. It means maybe, you know, the fat lady's not singing, but she might be warming up. <laughs> so anyway, here's another one. Uh, again, another super cyclical company. He's H&E Equipment Services, H-E-E-S. Is, uh, that's a symbol on that one. Here's another. It's a trucking company. I've been seeing a lot of those lately. Some oil and gas companies. This is interesting. Uh, basic materials. Uh, now they... Actually, the valuations on these stocks are a little higher. And this is a good one. Uh, Old Second Bank Corp, OSBC. It's got a nice looking chart. Price to sales ratio is only 2.6. Average for the industry is probably about 30% higher than that. Now that I hear the music, that means I have to, to run. I'm so sorry. I, 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 I promise next week I will actually start with the stocks. How's that? I'll, I'll start with stocks. So you've been listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck and good investing. You just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.